Welcome to the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And John, this week, the big get, Shaquille O'Neal. The biggest get, the biggest of all. <laughs> you don't get any bigger than Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, for those there's people you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, those watching on YouTube, uh, you see we're at a little bit different location. We're at the Sheridan Times Square, where SBJ is hosting the Media Innovators Conference with a bunch of uh, media executives. And John Skipper, today I interviewed Burke Magnus from ESPN. It's been a lot of fun. Sean McManus, we, the list goes on on. Fun event. All right, let's get who's up, who's down. Let's make them all mad now, okay? Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? It's got to be Pat McAfee, the up-and-coming media king. He had the interview of the month with Aaron Rodgers, and we both thought he did a great job. He, he got in. He gave the uh, interview a lot of air to, to breathe. He gave Aaron Rodgers a lot of rope. With the, which he ended up hanging himself with, and I just thought he did a really good job. Yeah, it blew up YouTube. It was on SiriusXM. Uh, you know, McAfee's on, he does wrestling. He does it all. Now, who's down for John O'Rant? To me, it's got to be Peter Chernin, media veteran, part owner of Barstool. Barstool has had a really rough couple of weeks, culminating in a Business Insider story on David Portnoy and his sex habits. For Chernin, he's been looking the other way at a lot of Portnoy's bad antics. This is something, though, that is hitting him in his pocketbook, and he's, he's seen uh, Penn National stock drop uh, a lot since this uh, story came out. And you have to wonder when the situation is going to become so untenable that he has to do something. How about you, Andrew? Who do you have is up? All right, so you said Dave Portnoy. I'll go to the opposite end. Mike Greenberg. That's the opposite end. <laughs> this is the opposite end. Both successful. I said Chernin, not Portnoy. Though. Oh, you did. You're oh, right. Yeah. You're right. But I'll, we all know you're really saying Portnoy when you said Chernin. <laughs> let's face it. Uh, all right, well, Mike Greenberg is he's a little more he's vanilla in, in a lot of regards. But you have to give ESPN and Mike Greenberg credit because he has another successful show, and it's quite a comeback for Get Up. If you look at their ratings from two years ago uh, to today, they're up 10%, which is basically unheard of uh, in television these days. And the thing about Mike Greenberg is you don't necessarily care what he says, but he's proven now after two shows that he you care what his shows say. So first, he had the great success for two decades with Mike Golick, obviously they had good fortune of the platform and the timing, you know, before digital was so uh, prevalent. Now, though, with Get Up, uh, Crowded Field, they start off sh slow with Michelle Beadle and Jalen Rose as his co-host. Now he's doing great. Um, and so you have to give Get Up has my on the way up. Get Up on the way up. How about down? <laughs> All right. For me, it's, you thought I was going to make ESPN happy. I, I said they got a who's up. They got the down as well. Monday night football. Oh, what a tough brutal. night they had. Tough, tough brutal. night. You got Brian Greasy uh, saying you should late in a game, tie game, maybe go for two instead of just kicking the extra point. Then he tried to correct himself. He said field goal. And yeah, at the end of the game, Steve Levy, ball, he says, hits the crossbar on a possible game-winning field goal. Inexcusable was, for a final call. Yeah, it wasn't even close yeah. to hitting the crossbar. Uh, Najee Harris, they said earlier in the game that uh, he slept on his dorm room floor his freshman year at Alabama. He comes back on Twitter and says, nope, not true. And they spent, you know, all this time saying how great uh, Najee Harris is, and then he blasts him on Twitter. 
the problem is, though, this was before all this, this was going to be my on the way down. The problem with the broadcast right now, first off, overproduced, number one. Number two, not enough rhythm to the broadcast. Listen to an Al Michaels broadcast. Listen to an Ian Eagle broadcast. Listen to a Joe Buck broadcast. There's a rhythm to the game, feeling the game. And a lot of times, and again, I want to like this crew. I really do. I think they're kind of an underdog crew. But a lot of times, I feel like, I hear Levy say stuff, and I'm like confused because the screen, and it looks like that's a touchdown, and he's not sure, and I'm just like, it, it delays like the enjoyment and, the, and, the, and, and what I'm seeing. And so uh, that gets my on the way down, who's down, uh, down, 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 however you want to phrase it. <laughs> not get up. Not get up, not up. All right, let's go to topic one, John. Now, I talked about Monday Night Football in my who's down What's your take on Monday Night Football right now? You know, Monday Night Football, had, the, the booth had a miserable game on Monday. And I think the main problem is the Mannings. There was, I, there, there was no Manning telecast on Monday. And what that meant was everybody was focused on the original telecast. And I think that, you know, that's where, if you, if you follow social media, they were jumping on every single mistake that was made. And there were a lot. When ESPN2 has the Mannings alongside the Monday Night Football game, if you follow social media, you're following the Mannings. So that there's so much less attention that's paid to the Monday Night booth. So you think if the Mannings are on Monday night, Greasy says, let's maybe go for two in a tie game. And they also you know, mess up with uh, Najee Harris saying he you know, sleeps on uh, the floor in freshman year at Alabama, and then he comes back and hits them on Twitter and says, no, that's not right. And you have the missed field goal call where uh, Steve Levy, you look at the angle, you thought it doinked, and it didn't you doink. You can't mess up the you, last call. You I can't mess up the call. The, the problem yeah. is, ESPN makes this over and over again, is that they, they put a booth in, their top booth, Monday Night Football, historic booth, and it's inexperienced. Not that mm -hmm. those, they, they're all experienced broadcasters. Steve Levy's a great host. Uh, Lewis Riddick has made a name for himself as an analyst in studio. He's good on the draft. Uh, Greasy's done it a long time. So they're, they're, as a group, they have experience, but together they don't. And there's just nobody who you say, to me, at least when I listen, that's an A. That's an A or A-plus broadcaster in this, what they're doing right now in terms of play-by-play -play or analysis on games. I think my point is, who knows if they've been making these mistakes all season because you were watching that game-winning play on Pey with Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, and, and, and you weren't focused on it. So it's entirely possible. What, I'm, what I would be worried about if I was ESPN is the Jason Witten effect. Mm -hmm. Once you start to make those mistakes and then, and then the ball of momentum and you keep making those mistakes and you start overthinking about your word choices and what you should say, and it, it, it generally goes, goes south, and I think that's something to worry about. To me, this is a management issue as much as a broadcaster issue. Everyone always loves to blame the people in the booth, but it's the people in charge who decide this is the booth who really, to me, are the ones who have to answer for it. Again, like I, want, like I said before, I want to like Steve Levy, uh, Greasy, and Riddick. I do. You know, They're kind of unknown, a little bit of underdog. The way ESPN gave them the job was kind of a slap in the face. It's like, you take it, after they went after Manning, and they were going to go after Tony Romo and Al Michaels. And so you want them to do well. I just don't think it's at the level it needs to be at. And... They, do they have a little more time? Like I thought, I thought the Mannings helped them, giving them time to develop more. Uh, but 
That's a, that was a tough, tough night. It's hard to change the narrative after you have a night like yeah, that. Yeah, I want to go soft on Greasy, uh, actually, because that was a really dumb comment, mm -hmm. but he corrected himself immediately, and it was obvious he sort of had a verbal tick. You shouldn't have verbal ticks in the booth, I guess, in the, yeah, in, in the fourth quarter, but he corrected himself immediately, and it was, I, I took that as just a, a, a banal mistake. Yeah, I will say that a lot of people have said to me that we're in week six that I've had verbal tics the whole time uh, for, for this, this uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, I stutter too much. Absolutely. It's a verbal tic. Maybe it should be called Marshannon Oran's verbal tics. So here we are. We're criticizing. Yeah, don't review the pod, basically. Yeah. What's our next topic? All right, topic two, John. Pat McAfee. He was at my On the Way Up. <laughs> on the Way Up. Yeah. Uh, and he has the Aaron Rodgers interview. Aaron Rodgers on the way down after that interview, we got a lot of bad publicity, lost some endorsements, at least one that we know of. Uh, your overall take on, on, on McAfee, the, the, the media angle of this. You know, McAfee, it was a Mike Wallace, essentially. I, I, I thought, he, the, here's the thing with uh, Pat McAfee, is that when he was on the, the Manning telecast, he dominated the telecast. Like, he almost took over hosting roles. He hosts his own show, and he, and he talks a lot. And for him to stay quiet during this interview it must have been difficult for him. I mean, and, and I think you could see, if you were watching it on YouTube, that th there were moments that he did want to sort of insert himself and go, but he sort of had enough sense to, to step back and let uh, Aaron Rodgers sort of weave his own tail. I think that if, if he, if Pat McAfee had jumped in and, and been confrontational and asked Aaron Rodgers questions and, and, and questioned other things, Aaron Rodgers would have clammed up. We wouldn't, ha we wouldn't have seen half of what we saw about Aaron Rodgers. And I thought that was an interesting window into who Aaron Rodgers was and how he thinks. Exactly. In an interview, you want to reveal the person's truths. And, and if you do a good job, you get closer than other people would. I don't know how much more closer to Aaron Rodgers' truth you would have gotten if someone else had done that interview. And I get it. There is a health issue in our country. There's a pandemic. We've been living this for a couple of years. And so when there's something that's misinformation, yes, you want to say, no, that's wrong. The problem I have with that in terms of when you look at it from a media perspective, I don't know if the person who's listening to Aaron Rodgers, who's listening to Dr. Rogan, as, uh, as McAfee called him this week, uh, listening to Joe Rogan, if you're going to get to that person with, like, facts, I don't know if, if you're Pat McAfee and you keep pointing out, well, no, there's no way the NFL said that if you get the vaccine, there's no way you can get the virus still. We all know that if you read any reputable um, publication or talk to a doctor, yes, you can still, if you have the vaccine, you can still get it, but there's much less of a chance of getting hospitalized or dying, uh, which is the point of vaccines in the first place. Obviously, you don't want to get it in the first place, but you don't want to get really sick. So he could have, you know, uh, went back at him left and right. It, it would have stunted the interview. Instead, he gave him his rope, and people could decide what Aaron Rodgers did with it. And judging by his interview this week, his follow-up interview, Aaron Rodgers, I think, realizes, you know what, he made a mistake in terms of being so, like, I'm the smartest person in the world. Yeah, and he, he allowed him, like you said, the rope to be the smartest person in the world. What I found interesting was uh, during the interview, McAfee kept saying, oh, I'm going to get killed for this. And I guess he did in some sectors. But he let Aaron Rodgers speak. Uh, after Aaron Rodgers spoke, he came out, they, they talked about it afterwards, you know. He did follow up at the end with a couple of questions. Uh, I just thought that he did a really good job uh, with that. Yeah, my final point is, there's a misnomer, though, that, you know, this is different, that uh, 
Aaron Rodgers chose an easy interview uh, as if that's a new thing. I mean, back in the day, I, you know, I, when um, you know, Alex Rodriguez, he, he went with Peter Gammons, who's a great Hall of Fame, great insider. But when he went with, after his steroids, uh, I think it was his first one, first time A-Rod got banged for steroids and then said that was the only time. Uh, then he had a second redemption tour. Anyways, I digress because I covered A-Rod very closely. Um, <laughs> is that uh, he, he went with Gammons because he thought Gammons would give him a, a, a fair, softer interview. Uh, in that case, and, and that happens throughout history uh, with, with a lot of interview ease um, and where they, where they choose. So I don't think this is any different. Obviously, the X player uh, element of it, the YouTube element, Sirius XM's also the provider for Pat McAfee's show. But I thought it was good. I thought he did a good job. I, I give him credit. I could do it without the idolatry of like, oh, we're so blessed to have you, Aaron Rodgers. I could do it without that. However, I give him a good job. And uh, he deserved your on the way up. Yeah, that's what that's what a show is. I was worried that you were going into a, a Sunday night baseball booth uh, topic again, and I'm not prepared for that. Will it be Carl Rabbit? <laughs> Everybody wants to know. Will, will A Rod be back? Will A Rod make that decision? <laughs> will, Norby Williamson, who is going to make the decision? Uh, no, we're not talking about that. So, anyways, good job, Impact Mac. Yeah. Topic three. All right, let's close out baseball. We didn't do the that last week. The World Series ended. You know, when we we're doing the pod, so we want to close that out. What we did, over-unders, or O to Mike and the Mad Dog. Uh, you put the number at $12 million, the yeah, viewership. No, okay, so John's right. We did a little pre-talk before this, so this, this is great, people. You're going to love this. I put the number at $12 million for right. what the uh, total viewership per, per night was going to be for the World Series. The average viewership, right. Average viewership. You took the over. I took the over, too. We both took the over. Yes. The number was? 11.75. I'm taking that as a win. What? You round up. You round up. It's $12 million. Does and then, anybody you know, listening I, think that's a win? I, now, do you come close? Can you feel pretty good about it? Yes. But if the number's $12 million, you're saying a win is, is no. No, no. I, I, I'm going to come clean. Are oh, you going to come I, clean? Or? I thought that the numbers were going to be a lot better than this. Uh, you had a, a market in Atlanta, one of the biggest markets in the country, that was like starving for a championship. You had uh, the, the storyline coming out of Houston and the cheating scandal out of Houston. I thought it was going to attract a lot of casual fans. I thought it was going to attract a lot of sports fans. And I thought that the number was going to, when you said 12.0, I thought it was easy pickings. I thought it was going to blow by that. And the fact that it didn't really surprises me. Yeah, Vegas always knows. So Not I knew the <laughs> number is 12 million. I knew that. Andrew Vegas. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. We, we know. All right. Before we close out baseball, I got one pet peeve I got to say. All right. We can argue about this one. The strike zone box. Anybody networks out there, any regional sports networks, you get rid of the strike zone box as a regular feature. I will write something nice about you. It's got to go. The Best and biggest regular season broadcast of the year was the Field of Dreams games. What was one of the elements they didn't have? The strike zone box. Because they're trying to show us all the time. Go old school. Yeah, yeah, you don't need the strike zone box. I can't stand it. It's not the, it doesn't, even if it's in the box, it doesn't tell you if it's a strike. On replays, fine, that's good. Regular action, you don't need something over the catchers. I cannot stand it. Get off my lawn. I love it. It's not I'm not gonna, get off my lawn. I'm not going to say not good. I, I, that's such a. That's it a, looks like a video game. It, it, I'm not going to say that I love the strike zone box, but it doesn't bother me at all. I I, I, I actually enjoy when it, the ball goes outside the, the the box 
and the umpire calls it a strike. And Aren't it you just, an Orioles fan? Yeah, I barely watch. No, no, yeah. not only that, you barely watch, but you obviously watch baseball to be annoyed. So, <laughs> so that's why you also like a, a strike taken. zone box. Point so taken. If you're watching baseball to actually see what happens, you don't need the, the, the square. Anybody gets rid of it, just text me, tweet me, email me, call me. I will write something nice about it. Turner, it I, didn't work at the beginning of the playoffs. They're, they're trying, it, was, it, was, it was glorious. I remember when Turner first, first put that in live action for, for the playoff games, yeah. Major League Baseball executives went nuts. And right. they, called, they called up Just David Levy. Nuts. They wanted him to, to, to take it off and, and take it out of there. And Levy said no. Turner Production said no. And it's become a staple on all the, all the baseball broadcasts now. And even if it means a positive story from Andrew Marchand, <laughs> I can't see them doing that. All right. Well, that, listen, the baseball, they were, they, they, their instincts in the Major League Baseball offices were right, and they should go back to that. Go nuts again. Forget the CBA. Make that the biggest issue of the offseason, getting rid of the box. Uh, hopefully we have baseball next year. You think we have a lockout strike? We start baseball on time next year? What's your prediction? Uh, we'll hold you this one. John will get it wrong. I, be like, no, no, I said I'm maybe. Get it wrong. No, no, John, what do you think? Yes or no? Uh, it's more than a yes or no, uh, but I'm going to say April uh, opening day, no baseball. Wow. I say they get it done. I'm an optimist. When do they get it done? Uh, I mean, I need a date? Or to give me an over-under. This is, we got to, come on. Well, well, it ends in December. Is there going to be any kind of, like, lockout in December? Uh, yeah, I'll give a little lockout. We'll get into okay. January. January oh, 11th. Oh, really? Yeah, what? January 11th. I oh, come on. It, uh, my over-under would have been, uh, uh, that's over-under, because my over-under would have been closer to opening day. Yeah, I don't know what changes from we're, December to January 11th. We're, but we're journalists. Right. We know what deadlines mean, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'll go January 11th. Right. Really, but I say we play with, there's baseball, uh, opening day and we don't have there, a lockout. There's now. baseball next year, but there's, there's, it's going to be delayed. All right, for the big get, we have Shaquille O'Neal. The biggest get. <laughs> Previous weeks we had Scott Van Pelt, Jamie Pitaro, the chairman of ESPN, and last week we had Bob Costas. Shaq, thanks for doing this. We uh, really appreciate your time. I only recognize one name, and that was Bob Costas. The other two guys I've never heard of. <laughs> All right, later, later. we can cross off. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal will not work at ESPN. He <laughs> doesn't know what Jimmy Pitaro is. At least is. not while Pitaro's there. <laughs> hey, Shaq, I want to take you back about a decade ago when you're thinking about whether or not to join Turner's NBA crew or ESPN's NBA crew. What made you pick Turner? Well, uh, Mr. Levy came in the house and he said, we don't need you, but we would like to have you. ESPN was saying, we need you. So I was saying that if I have a bad day at Turner, I'll be okay. But if I have a bad day at ESPN, it can only get worse. Uh, it was closer to my family at the time, Orlando. And listen, I have a different type of love for Ernie Johnson. Ernie Johnson was a guy that I used to watch on TV. He actually came to my house when I was 17 years old and interviewed me. Love his voice, love how he treats people. And, you know, for me to be sitting by him, no one else can tell that story. I don't think I'm the only guy that can tell that story. And it's just an honor, you know, to you know be here with the guys. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not as, as good as Ernie. So, you know, me being by myself, I would have to carry it. And I don't think my ADHD would allow me to carry a show by myself. So... <laughs> Being being a teammate on a great team, I think it's you know done well for us. I've been here 11 years. I think we got nine Emmys. So, 
you know, just being one of the guys is, is something that uh, I enjoy rather than, you know, trying to be the guy because I can never do what Ernie does. So you mentioned Levy. How much did Ernie and Charles and Kenny uh, try to bring you over to, to, to their group? I never, I never met with them. I just met with Mr. Levy and I met with Tara and I made my decision very quick. You know, my father always told me to be, be a straight up honest businessman. So, you know, ESPN made the offer, TNT made the offer. I made my choice right away. I didn't wanna, you know, I didn't wanna get into the bitten war and all that. I told my guys, I don't really care how much I make. I just still wanna be around basketball, get it done. So I made my decision fairly quickly, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, talk to the guys. I was, I was saying to myself, well, if they're having this conversation, if they want me, obviously the guys wouldn't mind. And the first couple of years, you know, it was rough trying to, trying to gel in, but I think we got it. I think we got it down to a perfect science right now. Now, Shaq, when you played, um, what was your relationship with the writers and, 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 and the media, the local media? We know nationally it seemed like you got along with everybody, but local media, how was that for you? Um, was it a good experience, bad experience? What, what was that like? It was, it was a little bit of both, but, you know, coming from a drill sergeant father, we weren't we were not allowed to falter because of criticism. I would always just have to step up. So criticism only made me upset. And when I got upset, it just made me more dominant. And the more dominant I became, you know, that's when, when I really started, you know, winning championships. Sometimes you have to be able to look at criticism and see if there's any truth in it. He's never gonna win because he's doing albums and he's doing movies. Well, I am doing albums and doing movies. Maybe that's true. Try again, try harder. So. You know, before I get upset or strike an emotion, I'm able to stop time and, and see if there's any truth in the criticism. If there's not any truth, then you're in trouble. I will have to confront you when I see you. So I've had some good times and bad times, but criticism has only made me stronger, and thank you. I even, so I accept it now. Whenever I get criticized now, I just look and I say, okay. And it was my job to shut you up and make you look bad. What was your best story in terms of having to confront one of the local Media. I don't want to say names, Bill Plaschke. <laughs> what happened? Give us, give us your best yeah, flash I, story. I, give us your best flash. I don't remember. No, but. <laughs> but what? What he he get on you a lot, Plaschke? What you only you didn't win enough championships? What was the problem? Listen, he, he was doing his job. You know, like when you're young, you you think it's unfair, but look, that's his job to write stories, and you know, he was writing stories about the other guy, and one guy was writing a story about me, and you know, just got to be. A little bit out of hand, but one reporter in Phoenix, I wish I knew his name, he's the reason why I'm on Twitter. Because somebody had a fake Shaq thing on Twitter and they said something and he wrote a nasty article. So I saw him, I said, uh, first of all, you can't be quoting me if I didn't say it. You said it. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I said, listen, I didn't say it. I'm going to punch you in your face. I didn't say it. And he showed me where I supposedly said it on Twitter. And I was like, what the hell is Twitter? So then I had to go and create the real Dr. Shaquille O'Neal on Twitter. So I wish I could see him to thank him. Because if he didn't say anything, I probably would have got on Twitter much later. Did you have uh, good relationships with the press? Is there, is, I always think back in the you know, 70s and the 80s, athletes really cozied up to uh, some of the local media members. Did you have those relationships in the, in the 90s? I mean, I know it was my job, my obligation to you know, talk to them. So I just try to... I just try to show much, you know, respect as I can. You know, a lot of times when I didn't have anything nice to say about the referees or other teams, I would just walk away. And every now and then I would, like, take a week off from the media. But 
I couldn't say I had a good relationship or you know bad relationship. It was, you know, in this in this in this, <clears throat> this game and this life that we live is all about respect. So they they respected me. They have a job to do. I have a job to do. So we made it work for 19 years. What about in your current job? You have to hear from players all the time, right? No, I don't hear from players all the time. I think players should know and understand that I have G14 classification to say what's needed to say. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, especially in this era, criticism is tough for the youngsters. But, you know, what I'm trying to do is give them the answers to the tests. And I think they know and understand that, you know, coming from a Hall of Famer like Barkley, coming from a Hall of Famer like myself, coming from a champion like Kenny, we know what we're talking about. We're not disrespecting you as a person. We see what we see in your game. Sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't. But I don't hear from players. I, I think they know and understand. Like when I was getting criticized by, by certain people, if it wasn't a person that has G14 classification, I wouldn't pay it no mind anyway. But every time I got got criticized by like a Magic or by like a Larry Bird, I would listen. I was like, Magic says I try to go through the middles too much. Maybe I should develop a drop step. Thank you, Magic. I appreciate it. You know, rather than going, what, what, what do you know, Magic? You played with Kareem and all he did was that ugly Scott. So like, you know, if you have that G14 classification in life, I will definitely listen to you. If you don't, I will ignore you. Now, Shaq, I'm 5'7". I played competitively pickup. Sure you um, did, Jeff so Van Gundy. Sure you did. <laughs> I can shoot it a little. I can shoot the three, Shaq. Yeah, sure so you did. So my question is this. We, we, <laughs> all right, we're a little different, okay, in terms of our lives. My question for you, 7'1", 325, the world's not exactly built for you. Like, how is that, how is it for a guy as big as you to go, you know, planes? What, what, what is that like? What, what's the, you know, what's the hardest thing about being 7'1", 325? And change. Well, again, growing up in a drill sergeant family, you're not allowed to complain. So I, to answer your question, I, okay, to answer your question, I have to duck. If I wear a hat and don't duck, I will definitely hit my head on doorways. But other than that, I don't, I don't complain about being big or being small. You know, what made me a great athlete is all my friends were small, and to compete with them, I had to learn how to do what they did. You know, gymnastics, flips, and running, jumping off of buildings, and, you know, I was very, very athletic as a youngster, and that was due to my little friend. So even though I'm a big guy, I don't, I don't act or, you know, portray myself as a big guy. I'm just a normal guy who happens to be tall and handsome. <laughs> well, and speaking of that, so you've, you've done, you've, you've had a platinum rap album, obviously a Hall of Famer, you've been in movies. What's the one part that you got offered that you didn't take uh, or you wish you had? Uh, so far in your career Green uh, in Mile. movies or TV. Is there one? Green Mile. That was my role in Green Mile. I turned it down. Oh, really? Yeah. You could have been in Green Mile. It's a great movie. Why, why did you turn it down? I didn't want to play the, the down south African-American guy during slavery. You know what I mean? I didn't want to play, play that role. But the guy who played it did a wonderful job. He's no longer with us. He's, he passed away. He did a group, uh, Michael Clark Duncan did an excellent job. So I think I made the right decision because he, he did way better than I, I, I could have done, but I got offered that role. Shaq, inside the NBA, uh, my opinion, one of the, uh, a lot of people's opinion, one of the two best studio shows of all time when it comes to sports. One of the two uh, best? Charles, what's the other one? I love College Game Day on ESPN. Yes, like, it's, really it's, good. it's neck and neck. Really good. Neck and neck. Uh, Charles says he's he's quitting after two years. 
it's, should we be looking at that? Is he going to quit? No, he's never going to quit. Joe's going to be here forever. <laughs> he's never Why is that? Gonna quit. Because we need him. We need him and he needs us. I'm convinced that if I'm retired and I don't do nothing, I'll, I'll, I will falter away. But, like, this is what we do and it's what we live for. It's what we've been doing. We need each other and we keep each other going. So, look, I've been here 11 years. I've heard that spiel before, but he's not going anywhere. He's going to be here till the wheels fall off. What's next for you? What's the thing you want to do next? You have some ownership with the Kings. You're doing all the media stuff. you got a podcast. You're on every ad in the world. Uh, what's next for Shaq? I just want to continue to make people laugh and continue to change people's lives. I don't really look and say, I'm going to do this, crypto this, do that. I just look, whatever opportunity comes, and I think it's going to you know, make people smile, make people happy. I always take advantage of that. I'm at the point where I listened as a youngster, so uh, luckily I don't fall into that, that that stat that says 67% of all NBA players, when they retire, don't have anything. I don't, I'm not in that stat, so I listen. So still got some things going on, but you know, I just like to go with the flow, and whatever comes up, comes up. I'll be approaching 50, so I think I'm going to go in my bodybuilding phase at 50. I don't know yet. <laughs> I think I want to be a bodybuilder now. Well, listen, last week, Shaq, we had uh, Bob Costas on. I know you said you'd never heard of him. Oh, he no, said I the, know who Bob know, Costas is. Oh, no, he's, he knew Bob. Oh, you he knew Bob. Know, oh, he knew SVP. Oh, you didn't know SVP. You didn't know Katara. Okay, all right. So he said it was the top. He said it was the top. You know, this was the, the pinnacle of his career. Um, you know, I'm not going to say you've done other things as well, so this might not be the pinnacle for you, but we do very much appreciate uh, you joining the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast, and best of luck to, to you and with everything. And, and by the way, before we got on, people couldn't hear this, you said we look like lawyers. You do look like lawyers. Trial lawyers are that. <laughs> Successful ones are that. I'm taking that as a compliment. No, it is. No, it, no, it, it, it is a compliment. It is a compliment. It is? Yes. It means yes. We, we make some money. <laughs> You look like you, All right, Jack, we you look like the guys that when you much. walk in the courtroom, the uh, you know opposers go, "Hey, we gotta settle." Not those two. Yeah, we gotta settle. <laughs> we gotta settle right away. I will take that. <laughs> we'll take it. All right, you gotta settle. All right, we'll take it. All right, hey, thank see, you. Let's, let, let's clip that and get it on social quick. All right, thank <laughs> you. Thanks, Jack. Thank you very much, Jack. Okay, bye bye. All right, before we get to our calls of the week to end the show. Um, your impressions of Shaq. Shaq. How great was Shaq? He just makes me laugh. I, I thought it was really instructive how, hearing him talk about how he picked TNT. And it's the value of relationships. He had a relationship with Levy, David Levy. He had a relationship with Ernie Johnson. He made a decision, and he stuck with it. I just thought that was instructive. Yeah, and what the thing about Shaq that probably has always been the case, but I think is even more so in the digital world, is that he's just himself, and he enjoys being Shaq. Now, a lot of seven-footers um, and big guys, they sometimes don't like it as much. You know, there are, we, we, we asked him about, is it difficult to be seven feet? And he just likes, you can just tell, he wakes up, he likes being Shaq, he likes being that center of attention, and he has a great uh, sense of humor, as we, we kind of referenced this. But even before we got on the air, he just started in, he was asking about our marriages, he's kind of ready to make a joke, loosening things up making us feel comfortable, you know, where he doesn't have to do that. It's our job to make him feel comfortable to make the podcast better. So, yeah, he, he was very good, and we were very uh, fortunate to have him on the podcast. Lawyers. Lawyers? <laughs> Come on. I don't know. Maybe a little bit. We got the suits on I this guess. week because you're yeah. uh, sports media innovators. We got to look uh, snazzy. Call of the Week. 
All right, it's time for our calls of the week. John, what do you got? I'm going to stay local to the DMV, local to Washington, D.C. Joe Beninati, Craig Laughlin, they call Capitals games for NBC Sports Washington. They've been together for 25 years, and let's just listen to one of their great calls. Clear. Ovechkin storming in. Alexander Ovechkin curl and drag to the back end. He scores! Simply sensational! I thought he did it all the other night. Well, this is a carryover. This may be as pretty as goal of the season. Goal number 32. Even Wayne Gretzky, the great one, is going to see how this one went in. I mean, th that was a real special call. It was a young Alex Ovechkin with an incredible goal. But to me, th this is what every RSN, every team should want. It's two announcers that get along, that take the game seriously, that don't take themselves seriously, and they have established a connection with the fan base in D.C. to where, other than Alex Ovechkin, they're more popular than any player on the team. Yeah, that, and that's the connection you have um, when you ha with your broadcasters. We have that a lot with the New York broadcasters where we have, you know, basically people who are just, you just associate with the team almost more than the players sometimes. Mm. Let me just say, Joe B., he should be a national broadcaster. I can't believe it. We are very lucky to have him for every single game in the D.C. market. Yeah, he was with Versus way back when, and then uh, switched. And Number two to Doc Emmer. Yeah, and then the they switched, yeah. and uh, you, you want him to get him back, maybe you'll get him back. Right. We'll see how powerful the pot is. <laughs> All right, what's your call? Call of the week for me is Steve Summers. He's, I, I don't know, legend. You could maybe say a legend, but he's been a part of New York's fabric. He's known as the schmoozer on FAN. Uh, he did overnights for years uh, on FAN and just had so many... A little sayings like, you know, I'm here, you're there. Let's hear what a little summer's opening. This is classic summers. Well, morning to you, and how you be at 12.06 and 52 seconds on this Saturday night slash Sunday morning on the fan, New York City. Steve Summers here, you there, Mike Hayes on the other side of the glass, 718-937-6666. Number to call as we begin overnight under the covers. And the thing about Steve, it's not, first off, his openings like every day were so creative, a great writer. Um, and secondly, he didn't necessarily know so much about sports. So that thing with everyone making hot takes and all these guys from Stephen A to Colin Coward to uh, Max Kellerman all acting as if like they know everything and they're always right about everything. Steve didn't really do that. He got a, he didn't, he just said stuff like he called the Sacramento King Sacred Tomato. That was like, you know, <laughs> something like that was like his thing. Uh, and so he's, he's going to retire, uh, you know, Friday. He's going to do a show. Then probably next Monday he'll do a final show. Uh, but uh, he did do some, you know, uh, afternoon stuff. But he became a part of New York. He grew up in San Francisco, became a New York, kind of like a bagel with cream cheese. Steve Summers, hearing him on the radio for the last uh, three to four decades, has been a part of New York sports, especially. Yep, and like you said, every market needs some, somebody like that. Yeah, the schmoozer. Uh, All right, well, that's our schmooze. That's it. We thank Shaquille O'Neal for joining us. Shaq, the biggest guest. The biggest guest. If you yeah. want to go back and listen to other interviews we've done, we had Scott Van Pelt, Jimmy Pitaro, Bob Costas. There's a couple of weeks that we just, the two of us, um, and we just talk shop. Uh, you can find us, obviously you already did, but you can find us also on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you find podcasts. Google Podcasts. If you like yeah. it, if you review it, it's helpful. We appreciate it, and we really, uh, really appreciate uh, you listening. Yeah, thanks for listening.
Oh, oh, oh.